The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. I was amazed while recently listening to a very well-known Christian apologist. He has a very high IQ and is well-respected. Yet, when he was asked during a Q&A session if he believes we're living in the end times, he said he didn't think so, that every generation has had wars and rumors of wars and so forth, but he didn't take into account the miracle of the rebirth of the state of Israel, the fig tree nation, which has blossomed again. Israel is the number one super sign concerning end-time Bible prophecy. How could a man so well-versed in the scriptures not be able to recognize the major sign of the times? Yet, many simply don't. It's our task as watchmen on the walls to know the times and discern the seasons. For many years, I had a vision to share the Bible's end-time prophecies through media, but my vision had to die as God was preparing me and the right time. You may ask, is the death of a vision a principle in the Word of God? Are our God-given visions often taken through a death process? And has God's own vision for a resurrected Israel gone through a death process? Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. When we truly love the Lord, we can become very ambitious to serve Him and to make an impact on the world with the one life that we've been given to live. What we achieve in the here and now will be our legacy throughout all of eternity. But we first have to learn to die to self and have the Lord's character built into our lives. The disciples of Jesus are called in Hebrew Talmudim, meaning learners, because it's our duty to learn the truth and to live in the truth, and that includes knowing Bible prophecy and watching for the Lord's return as Jesus told us to watch. We may discern that the time is indeed short until the Lord returns, but I don't believe in date setting or predicting the return of the Lord since that imminent event is sealed wisdom known only to the Father in heaven. But in the meantime, we must live our lives fully hoping to fulfill the purpose of our lives while we await the Lord's sudden appearing. Through a lot of painful experiences, we have to learn to die to many of our own desires and to our stubborn wills and egos even when we're sure that we have received a vision from God to serve Him. But God wants to make sure that our ambitions and personal goals don't become our idols. We have to learn to follow the will of God above all desires, as strong as our desires may be. Scriptures testify in Hebrews 5.8 that our Lord and Master, Jesus the Messiah, is our example. He was not exempt from suffering, even though he was the Son of God. But he learned obedience through the things he suffered. In the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he was about to face crucifixion, 
the Lord had to make a decision for his will to be God's will. Through prayer, he learned he would not be exempt from the cup of suffering. But through prayer and strong crying, he gained victory over the dread of it, and he received support in drinking the bitter cup to the end. And he was fortified for his sufferings and trials and was sustained in them. There appeared unto him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. His personal wishes became engulfed in the Father's perfect will. As one commentary puts it, the Lord's dread anxieties were vanquished and he became divinely calm. His natural fears departed and when he accepted God's will, he was sublimely courageous to accomplish the work of atonement on the cross. Hebrews 12.2 attests, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of the promise God gave to Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. But the promise would come to pass only through Sarah's son. When their son Isaac was finally born, he became the literal embodiment of God's promise to Abraham. But Abraham's heart of devotion to God still had to be tested. If Abraham truly was to become the father of faith, you see, God never intended that Abraham should actually go through with the sacrifice of Isaac. God only wanted to determine if Abraham's heart was fully submitted because God had major, major plans for Abraham and his descendants. But when Abraham set out to prove he was fully loyal, God said to him in Genesis twenty-two twelve, Do not harm your son. Don't lay your hand on the lad. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Recently, I received a testimony from a believer concerning the concept called the death of a vision. That's when God seemingly blocks or destroys our hope or dream that we believe is divinely inspired. Have you ever gone through such a dark night of the soul? Well, many have, including myself. And I hope this revelation from God's word will encourage you and others. Jim wrote that all he ever wanted to do after he was born again was to serve God in full-time ministry. But all of a sudden, there was a change. The ministry he was happily serving encountered serious problems, and the Lord led him to leave that ministry. His heart was broken. But then Jim remembered God's promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and that God had asked Abraham to offer up his only son Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham's vision had encountered a sudden unexpected death when it seems like all his hopes came to a screeching halt. In fact, death to a vision is a common theme in the Bible. Various heroes in the Bible had some idea of the vision or calling for their lives, and each began taking steps toward achieving their visions. But each had some unexpected roadblock that brought temporary death to their visions. Sometimes God himself was the instrument of the impasse. 
Sometimes the roadblock came as a result of other people's actions. Sometimes it was the result of mistakes the persons themselves made. In every case, there was a period of death, but eventually God resurrected the vision and fulfilled his plan. The death of the vision was not the end of the story. And Abraham provides the best example of someone with a God-given vision. God had told Abraham in Genesis 12 too, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Furthermore, God also told Abraham in Genesis 15, 5, look now towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. So shall thy offspring be. But then God told Abraham to offer up his long-awaited son Isaac as a sacrifice. And if Isaac died, how could the vision be fulfilled? But Abraham made all the preparations to obey. And then God stepped in and provided a substitute sacrifice, sparing Isaac's life. And Abraham went on to become the father of many nations. Likewise, in the book of Genesis, the patriarch Joseph experienced the death of his vision. Joseph had received prophetic dreams of the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him. He knew from his dreams that he would be the leader over his family. But his jealous brothers brought death to Joseph's vision. Suddenly, they sold Joseph into slavery, and Joseph ended up in an Egyptian prison. But many years later, God brought Joseph out of prison and made him ruler over all of Egypt. Joseph's dreams came true when his brothers came down into Egypt seeking food during a famine, and they bowed low before Joseph. Likewise, Moses knew he was born to help his people. Like many, Moses tried prematurely to make his destiny come to pass. Moses came to the defense of a Hebrew slave and killed an Egyptian. And so he had to flee for his life. Then Moses spent the next 40 years on the backside of the desert. But at last, God called to him from the burning bush and sent Moses back to Egypt to fulfill the destiny upon his life. Moses became Israel's deliverer from Egypt. Then Joshua spied out the promised land and his faith was confident that the Israelites could conquer the promised land with God's help. Joshua wasn't afraid of the giants in the land because he had already witnessed the power of God in Egypt and at the Red Sea crossing. Joshua and Caleb tried in vain to convince the others to go up and possess the land, but his vision had to die for a long season. The unbelief of the majority caused both Joshua and Caleb to spend 40 years wandering with the people of God in the desert. But then God chose Joshua to succeed Moses, and he led Israel into the promised land. David was anointed by the prophet Samuel as a young man to be king of Israel. David had to experience many deaths to his vision as he waited patiently on God. He killed the giant Goliath and ended up in the palace playing music for King Saul. But suddenly David had to flee for his life because Saul was jealous and tried to kill him. 
Saul chased David for many years, and finally Saul died in battle, and David became king, and God's word prevailed in David's life. Jesus was known by his disciples to be the promised Messiah. The disciples had followed him every day for three years, seeing the Lord's many miracles and hearing his teaching. Because of the predominant thinking of the Pharisees at the time, the disciples thought Jesus would become some sort of military king and would rescue Israel from the tyranny of Rome. But instead, Jesus was crucified and his stunned disciples were scattered. That was a terrible death to their vision. But three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, 120 disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began their worldwide ministry to the ends of the earth. The biggest death to a vision happened in the life of Jesus and is still in the ongoing process of being fulfilled. Prophecies in the book of Daniel revealed exactly when the Messiah would arrive. But instead of receiving him as they should have, the leaders of Jesus' generation tragically rejected him and brought judgment upon the nation and upon their holy temple, which were all destroyed in 70 AD. What happened to the vision of King Jesus? Well, the Gospel of John 12:24 teaches that the principle is unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't bring forth life. Jesus had to see the death of his vision as King Messiah. He had to be willing to die to make atonement for the world as God's suffering servant. But the vision of King Messiah in the Bible is still yet to fully come to pass. Jesus has had to wait nearly 2,000 years in heaven for the vision of his 1,000-year reign in Jerusalem to come to pass. But I believe the vision will come to fruition very soon. The Bible predicted that the end of days would occur sometime after the return of the Jewish people from their worldwide dispersion back to the land of Israel. Therefore, after nearly 2,000 years of exile, it is extremely prophetic that Israel was reborn as a nation in their ancient homeland on 14 May 1948. The Jewish people had lost all hope during the Holocaust. Their vision of returning to their homeland had perished in the Nazi gas chambers and ovens. But nevertheless, the vision has been resurrected in our lifetime of the Jewish state. And the people of Israel live. And so do you recognize the pattern? You may be going through the death of a vision for your destiny, something you believe God has planted in your heart. You may have taken steps in the right direction, but suddenly something interfered to bring an apparent death to your vision, the calling upon your life. At this very moment, you may be hopeless or may have given up. The good news is that you're in the good company of Jesus and of Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, and the disciples of Jesus. Romans 4 and verses 18 to 21 records how Abraham never lost faith while he walked that long road on the way to sacrifice Isaac. He knew God would still do what he had promised 
even if God had to raise Isaac from the dead. You see, faith is confidence in the character of God. And if we know the true character of the Almighty, we can have confidence in Him and we can rest by putting our total faith in Him. Perhaps the vision God has for your life is much bigger than you realize. Some of my favorite and most comforting verses over the years have been the wisdom and hope found in Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 to 6. And I want to entrust them to you right now. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Amen. Well, the visionary realm concerning a believer's destiny often involves three steps. First, there's the birth of a vision. God imparts ideas and goals in a person's heart. Then there is the death or the trial preparation period of a vision. And then finally, the resurrection or fulfillment of the vision. When God deems we are ready to handle it as an illustration of the birth, death and fulfillment of the vision. Again, I want to remind you of John 12, 24, where the scripture refers to the process of planting a grain of wheat. Although the grain has the potential to produce much fruit, it first has to be buried in the ground to die in order to allow new life to spring up and produce a harvest. Concerning our own visions, God allows various tests, frustrations, roadblocks, disappointments, to cause us to trust Him for guidance, strength, deliverance, and timing. Our season of waiting in the secret place while God forms in us Christ-like character helps us to understand our shortcomings and to trust God that He's the one who's going to bring our destiny to pass in His own way. It's important that God take the time to build Christ-like character within us so that we'll be better equipped to fulfill our vision rather than us running off prematurely, half-baked, thus subjecting ourselves to unnecessary failures. One leader explained that this death of a vision process can come in the form of financial setbacks, impossible circumstances, physical deficiencies, or persons who doubt and oppose our vision. At this point, an individual can encounter intense temptation to doubt God and question if the Lord is going to be faithful to fulfill our vision. Meanwhile, Satan also attempts to convince us to use our own energy and wisdom to fulfill the vision. For example, in the book of Genesis, when Sarah was seemingly barren, rather than trusting God to fulfill the vision of her pregnancy supernaturally, she instead cooked up a scheme and persuaded her husband Abraham to take matters into his own hands. Abraham and Sarah attempted to fulfill the vision by having a child with his wife's handmaid named Hagar. And you know the story. You know what was birthed. An Ishmael was produced, not an Isaac. With the birth of Ishmael, conflict came into the family, conflict that is ongoing even in our times, simply because Abraham and Sarah tried to fulfill the vision their own way. 
Well, what can we learn from this? When faced with the death of a vision, if it's genuinely from God, we must hold on to hope, expecting God to come through, even when everything seems impossible. We have to take to heart the Lord's words in Genesis 18:14, where he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? If the vision is really from God, he will fulfill his plans and purposes. It's our duty to wait on him, trust him, and walk in obedience to his direction. In Abraham's life, God worked supernaturally to fulfill his promises. And after years of waiting, God gave Abraham a son by Sarah, even in their old age. Now, it's important to point out that the nation of Israel is a vision that died, but it has been miraculously resurrected by the God of Israel in our time. Israel's national anthem is called Hatikva, meaning the hope, alluding to the fact that the vision for a Jewish state was carried by the Jews in exile as a hope for nearly two millennia. Every year at Passover tables, the Jews prayed next year in Jerusalem. And so if you say that you love the Lord God of Israel, it follows that you likewise will care for and honor and pray for the Jewish people. After all, our Savior Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, is called the King of the Jews, a title that was nailed in derision to his cross. But one day, very soon, Yeshua will indeed return to Jerusalem, the city of the great King, as Jerusalem is referred to in Matthew 5.35. And Jesus will administer from the very throne of his ancestor, King David, and he will complete the redemption that was originally envisioned and promised by God to the Jewish people. The God of Israel will prove to be faithful to ethnic Israel, despite what the world says, even if many people deny today that the Jews even exist as a people group. But to deny that God is being faithful to his people, the Jews, would also bring into question God's faithfulness to the church. Indeed, as stated at the Hebrew for Christians website, churches or teachers who claim that God has abandoned ethnic Israel are directly impugning the credibility of the gospel message itself. Yes, it's that serious of an issue. We cannot impugn the promises of God given to the Jewish people without likewise impugning God's promises given to believers in Messiah. To say that God is finished with the Jews is to disregard them. It's a form of cursing them. And that results in reciprocal judgments from heaven, according to Genesis 12:3. In fact, the physical descendants of Abraham are called the apple, the pupil of God's eye a term of endearment found in Zechariah 2.8. And the Lord applies this term of endearment to no other nation. The scriptures declare that the Lord will never abandon his original covenant people, but will yet choose them for his name's sake. Listen to this amazing verse in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 1. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob, once again, he will choose Israel and settle them in their own land. And the foreigner will join them and unite with the house of Jacob. In our lifetime, Isaiah 14.1 is literally coming to pass. 
Not only is the Lord once again choosing Israel and settling them in their own land, as it says, but the foreigner, the sojourner, is also uniting with the house of Jacob. We see this unification process going on in Israel on a daily basis. An Israeli who has expressed this phenomenon is politician and author Amnon Rubinstein, a former dean of Tel Aviv University's law faculty. In 2006, Rubenstein was awarded the Israel Prize. The panel of judges said few can equal Professor Rubenstein's contribution to the state of Israel as a public figure. So I want to share what he said about Jesus and the integration of Christianity within Israel, which I see as a partial fulfillment already of Isaiah 14.1. Rubenstein referred to Jesus by his Hebrew name, Yeshua, and quoting the professor, he said, Yeshua said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. The historical Yeshua didn't take one thing away from Judaism. He only added to Judaism his vision concerning the kingdom of heaven. If he would be resurrected in our days, according to Professor Rubenstein, Yeshua would prefer to pray, probably in a small synagogue and not in one of the great cathedrals built in his name. The professor said that Jesus died before Christianity became a crusade against his own people, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. But the professor said the time has now come to make our peace with Christianity without forgetting its anti-Jewish past. First of all, he said, we should adopt the writings of Christianity into our national school systems. And he said an interesting example of how this could be done is the Yigal Alon Center, where they run a joint pre-military training program for Christian and Jewish army recruits. Let's recognize the local Arab Christians in Israel as a continuation of the historical Jesus, the professor said. Let's protect their places of worship, appoint a Christian chaplain for their soldiers, and allow their services to be broadcast over the airways on Sundays. And he said, let's begin by making our peace with Yeshua, the Jew, end quote. You see, the church was never meant to be a threat to the nation of Israel. Indeed, the church has not replaced Israel in God's redemptive plan, but is merely grafted in to the original root of Israel. And remember, Rabbi Paul warned in Romans eleven eighteen, it's not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Amen. Well, after all of this, I want to challenge you to dare to say with me today what the Bible declares, that we're all sinners in need of the world's only Savior who came to die on our behalf. That is the good news of the gospel. And if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible declares you shall be saved. Amen. And may we follow in the blessed steps of the Lord's most holy life in the days that we have remaining upon this earth. May God empower each one of us to be awake, to be ready for the Lord's return with hearts full of steadfast faith. I enjoy your comments and questions which you can share with me through social media. And please check out our website, exploits.tv, which offers news from Israel, as well as a free library of videos to watch. And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel app 
to keep up with our weekly programs. We also offer many articles and ebooks available at our website on a variety of important subjects. And so until our next time together, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. <laughs>